Let's, uh, let's pray as we come to consider this, this part of God's Word. Our Father, we, uh, we thank you for your Word and we ask that you would help us now to, to understand what it says, give us hearts that are, that are open to you, uh, that respond to you as you call us to. We ask for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today's section of, uh, of the Bible contains some of the harshest words in this letter of Paul to the Galatians. He uh, begins by saying, you foolish Galatians. Or again in, um, in verse 3, he says, are you so foolish? The, uh, the J.B. Phillips um, uh, produced a sort of translation, paraphrase of, uh, of the Bible, and, and this is how he puts it, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Surely you can't be so idiotic. That's, that's pretty direct and uh, pretty blunt. I mean, I suspect you, you might be a little bit um, taken aback if I got up and said, oh, you dear idiots of Harrington Park. Surely you can't be so idiotic. It's pretty direct. It's pretty blunt. No, no one likes to be called foolish. No one likes to be called idiotic. Why does, why does Paul say this to them? Why, what, what causes him to be so blunt? What's, what's going on in Galatia? And, uh, well, what does that have to teach us? Uh, are, we, are we in danger of being similarly foolish or idiotic? Well, let's have a look at this part of God's Word. We're in chapter 3 of Galatians. I hope you can see it open in front of you. It will come up on the screen as we go through. And Paul addresses the Galatians here. But just to remind you of, um, of the context, back in chapter 1, verse 6, he uh, at the beginning of the letter, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then for much of chapters 1 and 2, he explains to them how, at great length how the gospel that he preached to them came from God. It was the real thing that came from God and so... It should be believed. They shouldn't be led astray by these, these false gospels that say, well, you need faith in Jesus, plus you need obeying the law of Moses if you want to be saved. And so now he, he returns, having, having established that he returns to address them directly, and he says, you foolish Galatians, how can you be so foolish? It's, a, it's as if you've been bewitched, as if someone's cast a spell over you and you're unable to see clearly. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. They've had the gospel of Jesus clearly communicated, presented to them. Notice how the gospel is, is described there. It's not just Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed. It's Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The crucifixion of Jesus, the cross of Christ, is the heart and centre of the gospel. Christ crucified is what achieves our justification. Our, it's what makes us right with God. It's the basis of our relationship with God. The gospel is not Jesus, the baby in the manger, or Jesus, the carpenter's son. Or Jesus the teacher, or Jesus the healer, or Jesus the liberator, or, or even Jesus the resurrected one. It's Jesus Christ crucified. 
Jesus, who Paul says back in 1 verse 4, gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Jesus, who Paul says in 2 verse 20, loved me and gave himself for me. Christ was crucified, died for our sins in our place, that we would be made right in God's eyes. Then This gospel of Christ crucified had been clearly presented to them. They'd seen it, they'd, they knew it, they'd heard it, they'd believed it, they'd embraced it, they'd begun their, their, their lives as followers of Jesus. But now it seems they're foolishly turning to a different way. They started out trusting Jesus, trusting his death for them, for their forgiveness, for their, their right relationship with God. But now they're starting to listen to these false teachers who are saying that in addition to Jesus, well, you need... If you want to be a real Christian, you you need to keep the law of Moses as well, including these laws about about all the males being circumcised. So they're saying it's the gospel of Jesus plus obeying the law. Now, why would they be so foolish? Why would they shift from trusting Jesus and his death for them to trusting their own efforts at keeping the law? Why? Why? Well, I think it's, it's well within the, uh, the, the sinful human nature of us all to want to, to try to achieve things ourselves, to trust our efforts, to take the credit ourselves, to, to, to earn our own way, to be able to say, yay me, look what I did. What's more, these Gentile Christians would have obviously felt the pressure from Jewish Christians uh, to be like them. You know, if you're going to be a real Christian, well, you should do the things that we do. You need to do the things that we do. They felt that pressure. But it was foolishness. And so Paul desperately here tries to persuade them that, that they're going off on the, on the wrong track. And he questions them. He, he fires six questions at them. It really, it's just is, is one key question. Uh, 3 verse 2, he says there, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And there's the two ways. It's the works of the law or believing what you heard. And he says, well, how and when did the Spirit come to you? Was it when you did the works of the law or was it when you believed what you heard? And then he answers this question. He answers it in, well, in three ways. Firstly, he points, them, uh, points to their own experience, their experience of of receiving the Spirit. Now, there's no question that they, they had received the Spirit. That, that's a given. They know that. He knows that. They, they've received the Spirit. Verse 5 speaks of God giving them His Spirit and working miracles amongst them. We don't know all the details of, of what those you know, miracles were, but clearly God had worked powerfully amongst them. He'd worked amongst them by His Spirit. And verse 4 talks about what they'd experienced, or more literally, what they'd suffered Have you suffered so much in vain? Their endurance through suffering was actually, that's evidence of the Spirit's work. As we heard this morning, the fruit of the Spirit is patience, it's endurance through suffering. And that's often the case presented throughout the New Testament. The Spirit empowers Jesus' followers to endure patiently through suffering. Uh, Jesus told his disciples not, not to worry about what they'll say when they're on trial because the Spirit will, will help them to know what to say. 
God works powerfully in his people often through enabling them to persevere and endure suffering patiently. And, and, and they'd experienced that. They'd known that. So there's no question of the fact that they had experienced the work of God's spirit amongst them. And Paul calls on that fact and he, he asks, well, what brought about God's spirit, the gift of that to you? Was it because you kept the law or was it because you believed what you heard? Here in the gospel of Jesus, of Christ crucified, believing that, trusting that, putting your faith in that, that is the doing of the Spirit of God. And that's, it's in doing that, that that the Spirit of God comes to someone. That was the case for the Galatians. They began by means of the Spirit, verse 3. And so firstly, Paul points to their experience He says, well, God did this amazing thing among you when you believed the gospel of Christ crucified, not when you started trying to keep the law of Moses. Believing what you heard, that's what matters. So he points to their experience, but then secondly, he points to Abraham. And in in doing this, he really kind of, he he pulls out the rug from underneath those who were were teaching that keeping the, the law of Moses is what matters most. Uh, because Abraham is a, a really significant person in the Bible. Now, I'm conscious some of you may not know who Abraham is or how he fits in, so let me, let me explain. Um, in the beginning, I'll give you a very quick overview. In the beginning, God created, uh, God created the world. He created humanity, but, but we rebelled against God. We, we, we said, we're not, going to, we're not going to trust you. We're, we're going to do things our own way. And so humanity came under the curse of God's judgment. But God had a plan to reverse the curse and to bring blessing to the world. And so he chose this one man, Abram. And he had a promise to him. He promised that he would give him many descendants, that he would bring blessing to him, and that he would bring blessing to the world through him. And sure enough, eventually, Abram, whose name um, means father, uh, God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. It's a great irony because at that point he had no children. But Abraham eventually had a son, Isaac, miraculously in his old age. So Abraham had Isaac. Um, Next next slide. And then Isaac had a a son, Jacob, uh, whose name was changed to Israel. Uh, Israel had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, from them later on came, came Moses and the law. And so... The nation of Israel, the Jews, well, they looked back to Abraham as their father. And so they would have said, well, if you want to be a, a true child of Abraham, well, you need to be a Jew. You need to be you know, an Israelite. You, and to be a Jew, well, you need to keep the law of Moses. And so what Paul does here in Galatians 3 is he, he points back to Abraham, the great father of Israel, and he says, well, what did Abraham do? What did he do? He believed God. Verse 6, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a quote from Genesis 15. You can look it up, read it later. But what happened there, what it describes is how God God spoke to Abraham and he took him outside and he he, uh, told him to look up at the stars. And he said, count the stars if indeed you're able 
And he said, so shall your offspring be. Which was quite surprising to say to Abraham at that point because he had no children and he, was, he and his wife were both in their 90s. But God said, made that promise to him. And Abraham believed God. He believed God. The fundamental problem of humanity is what? It's a big sentence, isn't it? How would you finish that sentence? The fundamental problem of humanity is sin, selfishness, greed, violence. We might answer that in all sorts of ways. The fundamental problem of humanity is people don't believe God. We think we know better than our creator. God speaks his word to us. Ultimately, he's spoken his his ultimate word, his son, Jesus. And we reject his word. We reject his message. We don't believe him. We say, I'll do it my way. That's humanity's default sinful response. But Abraham believed God. And God declared him righteous. That is, who was Abraham? Well, yeah, he was the father of, of Israel. But he was, he was first and foremost a believer of God. He had faith in God. Now, it's important at this point to realise um, the word faith, the word belief, the word trust, they're, they're all the same. They have the same underlying word. Likewise, justified and righteousness are from the same root word. To, to justify is to make righteous. Abraham believed God. He was a believer in God. He wasn't about keeping the law. In fact, the law of Moses didn't even exist for, uh, for another 430 years. He wasn't declared righteous because he did a really good job at living a really good life. I mean, actually, you read the story of Abraham, he did some pretty bad things, including lying and passing off his wife as his sister to save his own neck, even though that meant that she was taken as the wife of another man. I mean, he didn't live some sort of super good life, but he believed God. So then, who are the true children of Abraham? Verse 7 tells us, understand then, that those who have faith, Believe. They are children of Abraham. Verse 9, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham is the great father, not of law-keeping Jews. He's the great father of all who believe. Which is the right way to go? Abraham shows us it's about believing what God says, not about trying to keep the law. But there's a second thing that, uh, that Paul says about God's promise to Abraham that uh, that's even, makes it even more foundational for the Galatians and, and for us. Not only is Abraham a model of believing, he is that, but also because God promised to Abraham to bring blessing to all nations. Look at verse 8. It says there, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, or nations, same word, by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This is quoting Genesis 12 verse 3 where God comes to Abraham and makes this promise to him. God promised to Abraham that through him he would bring blessing to the world. And Paul says 
It says here that way back then, when God first spoke to Abraham, he was preaching the gospel in advance. He was saying, my plan is that all nations will be blessed through you. God's promise to Abraham of blessing to the world is fulfilled through Christ crucified. It's through Christ, the the descendant, the, the offspring of Abraham, that God would justify, would make righteous the nations by faith. So God's plan, right from the beginning, right from Abraham, his, God, his plan was always to justify people by faith, not by works of the law. So the Galatians' experience, receiving the Spirit, shows that it's about believing what they heard, not about trying to keep the law. Abraham shows them the same. It's about believing God, not trying to keep the law. And then thirdly, we see that what Christ did also shows this. You see, if we try to obey God's laws with its rules, its regulations, its commands, it'll just mean we end up cursed. Verse 10 says this. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If we try to be made right with God based on what we do, then we will never make it because the law, the law stands over us and condemns us. I didn't do that right. I, I should have done that better. I, I fell short there. I, I failed to do that. The law, put together with our performance, our failure, condemns us. God's standards perfection, we fall short. We're under the curse of his just condemnation sounds kind of hopeless doesn't it and it is if we rely on us doing the works of God's law then we are under its curse but the glorious news of the gospel of Christ crucified as verse 13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And this is referring to part of um, the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 21, 23. It says to be hung on a pole is to be cursed by God. And that's what happened when Jesus died. He took the curse of our sin for us. He redeemed us. He bought us, freed us, released us from our bondage to the law that stood over us that condemned us. He redeemed us by paying the price, by paying the ransom. Uh, We think of paying a ransom as something you give to kidnappers to release a hostage. But equally, in Paul's day, you could pay a ransom to release a a soldier who'd been captured or release a, a slave from their slavery. Jesus gave his life himself as a ransom to redeem us, free us from the curse of the law. He gave us freedom the freedom of a right relationship with God. Do you see how foolish the Galatians were being? Having discovered the gospel of of Christ, of grace, they were going back to the old way that that didn't work and that only saw them as condemned. It's kind of like the uh, the history of, of human flight. Stick with me here for a bit. Hundreds of years people have 
have, have been fascinated by the idea of human flight. And people tried all sorts of things, strapping wings to their arms and leaping off towers and flapping their arms madly before crashing to the earth. And people have tried all sorts of things. But then with the discovery through science that we could be carried through the air by these amazing powered machines called aeroplanes, these things that zoom around the planet and fly people around the planet at, at tremendous heights and speeds and having discovered and experienced flying by aeroplane, why on earth would someone go back to strapping wings on your arms and leaping off a tower and flapping madly? It's just foolishness. This is like what the Galatians were doing. They've been told the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ had been clearly portrayed as crucified. He redeemed them from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for them. They believed they'd received the Spirit of God who had worked powerfully among them. They'd experienced that. They knew that. And then as if they were bewitched, they stopped relying on Jesus' death and they leapt off the tower of law-keeping. It's idiotic. It's foolish. Now, of course, we wouldn't do that, would we? Of course not. Or would we? See, there's a danger. There's a danger here for us, and it's, it's a subtle one. It's the danger of the, the gospel plus. Believe the gospel plus do good things. And we add rules. You should attend church. You should read your Bible every day. You should pray each day. You should share the gospel with others. You should serve on the church roster. You should take communion. You should be baptised. You should be confirmed. You should give money to God's work. You should do these things. You need to do these good things if you want to be a Christian. That's what that message creeps in, and it's subtle. It's subtle because all of those things are good things to do if you trust and follow Jesus. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you, if you don't want to be part of his church or don't want to read his word, don't want to talk to him and don't want to serve his people and don't want to take communion to remember his death and don't want to be generous, and if you don't want to do those things, you might say, well, there's something wrong, and you might wonder, well, am I actually trusting and following Jesus? But all those things are good things that God wants us to do but not as a way of earning our salvation. Not as a way of contributing somehow in any way to our salvation. No, we, we want to do the good things that God calls us to do. Not to earn our, our salvation, because that's impossible. But in response to seeing, seeing clearly what God has done for us in Jesus I was sharing this with um, explaining Christianity during the week that uh, our good works, it'll come up on the screen here, our good works can never earn our salvation. Next one. But the gift of salvation, next one, should lead to good works. See, the problem of the gospel plus is that when we When we lose sight of Jesus Christ, clearly portrayed as crucified, when we lose sight of the gift of salvation and we just start to focus on the good works, next one, thanks, and we start to focus on the good works and we start to sort of slide 
into thinking that we somehow achieve or contribute in some way to our salvation. And it's miserable because we've lost the right motivation for doing good. And we inevitably become burdened by our failure to do good and our fear of of not being good enough. It's miserable and it's dangerous because the gospel, the gospel plus, is no gospel at all. Now we need, to, we need to come back, we need to keep coming back to focusing on Jesus Christ who loved us, who gave himself for us, for our sin, to rescue us. And the call of Galatians 3 is to not be a fool. It's to not lose sight of or, or take for granted and then therefore effectively ignore the the blessing we've been given in Christ. It's a call to come back to and, and see afresh and remember what he's done for us, to, to, to see what a relief and a joy and a freedom is ours through Jesus. Uh, my sin, my failure, my failure to obey the law, the, the thing that, that would weigh down upon me, would condemn me, would curse me before God, Jesus took that curse for me. He was cursed in my place. Christ crucified, redeemed me, freed me, and gave me the blessing given to Abraham, righteousness. Gave me the gift of God's spirit. And if you have believed God, believe that message of Jesus Christ and him crucified to redeem you, then that is true of you. We have been justified, made right, made right with God, given his spirit. Yes, there's, there's lots of good things to do, things that we, we, we want to do as followers of Jesus, but those things don't make us right with God. They flow from having been made right with God. They're things we, we want to do in response to what Jesus has done. My prayer is that we will see that clearly. We, we will see what's being clearly portrayed Before our eyes, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins to rescue us. Maybe you need reminding of that. Reminding of the the, the great and wonderful truth that that is and and to rest in that. To know the joy and the blessing, to, to, to discover afresh the blessing of trusting God. Or maybe for some of you, you've you've heard the message, maybe you've heard it lots of times but you never actually believed it and trusted God. If that's you, what are you waiting for? Isn't it time to do that? Isn't it time to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin to rescue me. I believe in what you've done for me rather than in what I think I can do for myself. How about we pray? And even now, you might want to pray something like that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for my sins to rescue me. I believe in what you have done for me rather than what I can do for myself. Now, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would keep us, keep us from the foolishness which comes so easily and naturally to us of 
taking our attention and focus away from what you have done. Please keep us from that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.